0: Hello, people of the way. Uh, We're going to continue our study through the book of Romans. If you have your Bible, open up to chapter 2. Romans chapter 2. It is um, very powerful what Paul is doing here. Kind of um, setting the church on stable ground. Understand that the church in Rome is comprised of both Jew and Gentile. But also remember that there was this wild doctrine that entered the church because there were some former Pharisees who became Christians, and praise be to the Lord. But a problem that they had was that they didn't deny their former beliefs, these former concepts that they had in the law. Remember, they were Pharisees, former Pharisees. And so they took it upon themselves to start to spread this new teaching to say to Gentiles, if you want to be a Christian, you have to be circumcised circumcision and so paul is setting the record straight and when i say setting the record straight he's getting the church a young young church brand new believers you know for all practical matters very very young church and he's setting them on solid ground solid doctrine firm doctrine And what blows me away is that, you know, sometimes when Paul does this, inspired by the Holy Spirit, he's not a hypocrite, he's not carnal. And and when he does this, sometimes it's like, whoa, that is so abrasive, but such is the way of truth. Truth is very, very convicting. Sometimes you read the Bible and you look at one page, you look at one passage, you read and you're like, wow, you're just so blown away, just so beautiful to your ears, to your eyes, to to your heart, to your soul. And then you turn the page and then boom, it's like a knife in your heart. You know what I say? Praise be to the Lord because he's shaping you, he's molding you, he's transforming you. You see, that's how the Lord works. Let's look at here in chapter 2, verse 1, the book of Romans. says, therefore, you are inexcusable. Oh, man. Very humbling when the way he puts it here. Oh, man. It reminds me of Job when the Lord spoke to Job. Like, who are you? You know, you read these passages where Job says something and then his friends say something. Friend number one, friend number two. They all say these things. And then the Lord steps in. And you read it. It's like, whoa, you know, the Lord really puts you in your place. I love passages like that. Because it keeps us humble before the Lord. Therefore, you are inexcusable, oh man. Whoever you are who judge. Well, you see people say, oh, judge not lest you be judged. Don't judge me lest you be judged. Well, keep reading. The passage where, you know, the Lord says, you know, don't judge lest you be judged. At the same time, is to say, take the plank out of your own eye. Take the plank out of your own eye so that you can see clearly. And the word here is crino, k-r-i-n-o, crino. Remember, the word for judge, there's three words. There's derivatives, so there's more, but you know, for the most part, there's three. Crino, anacrino, and diacrino. Crino, you or I, we can never do. It's to tell a person, thus saith the Lord, you're gonna burn in hell. Nobody can do that. Only Jesus Christ. Nobody can do that. That's judge and condemn. And that's what Paul is saying here. Whoever you are who judge, you condemn another brother, you condemn another sister, or anybody. You can tell a person in in proclaiming truth, you can tell a person if you die without Jesus Christ, if any soul that dies without the blood of Jesus Christ over their heart, they will burn in hell the second death. And that's terrifying. That's terrifying. Have you ever talked to somebody about hell? And they're like, well, I've never heard that before. What do you mean a second death? Well, the first death is when you die, you take your last breath. The second death is when the Lord says, you know, you're going to hell. Because you don't have Jesus Christ. You don't have an advocate. You don't have the advocate. Capital A. Jesus Christ. And when that happens, it's to understand that hell wasn't designed for people. Hell was for Satan and his demons. Demons. And Satan knows he's going to go there. His demons know he's going to go there. That they're going to go there. And they want to take you with them. They want to take God's beloved creation with them to hell. Don't let that happen. You have to fight. You have to fight. He says, whoever you are who judge. This is to Creno, It's to judge and condemn. Whoever you are who judge. For in whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself for you who judge practice the same things whoa paul is addressing hypocrisy hypocrisy and carnality hardcore hardcore it's to say wait a second if you're like for, take me for example if i were to correct another brother about sexual sin or a sister about drugs and alcohol or anybody if i were to correct so, say i tell somebody hey don't do crack put down the crack pipe God loves you, don't do crack. And they say, okay, you know, they don't do crack. And then I go and do crack. Or sexual sin, I tell a brother, hey, don't do that. And then I myself am doing that. Then I'm a hypocrite. I am disqualified from being a pastor. I can no longer teach the Bible because of my hypocrisy and carnality. And praise be to the Lord because he called me to teach his word. And I don't say that boastfully, but I say it as encouragement to you. To, you know, all these things that hinder you, all these things that hinder us as believers in Christ Jesus, we have to give them up. Lay them aside. Just as the writers of Hebrews tells the church, he says in chapter 12, verse 1 of Hebrews, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside. It's to cast off and put away every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. Give it up. The sex, the drugs, the alcohol, give it up. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. You see? Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. See, the writer is saying, hey, endure, but don't forget, the Lord endured himself. Jesus Christ endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. We have to endure. But then at the same time, lay aside the sin which so easily ensnares us. Now, when Paul says here in Romans 2, you, whoever you are who judge or crino, in what, for in whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge, practice the same things. He addresses hypocrisy. But then at the same time, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 15, Paul also writes to a different church. I mean, same church, but, you know, different locale. The spiritual judge all things. So wait a second. Paul says here, don't judge. But then he says, okay, go ahead and judge. What's the difference? Well, don't crino. That's the judge and condemn. But anacrino is what is in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 15. Judge, but it's anacrino. You have to make an assessment. Before, in order for you to anacrino or diacrino, you have to make an assessment. And you have to apply it to your own life. And you have, and then, once you apply it to your own life, you can apply it to others. Anacrino and diacrino is very holy. is to say, wow, you know what? I'm in sin. And the Holy Spirit will speak to you. Conviction of the Holy Spirit. Wow, I'm in sin. And then you may have to make judgment. Anacrino or diacrino. And you say, wow, Lord, forgive me. I repent. And you do that. And you do that more and more. And you know what you're doing? You're covering the holes in, in your new wineskin. You're covering the holes in your wineskin. Now you become a new wineskin. And then all of a sudden, because you've done that, you are now able, biblically qualified, biblically capable and able and qualified to correct another brother or sister in Christ and in love. But if you are carnal, if you're a hypocrite, you cannot do this. You cannot do this because you sow seeds of judgment to yourself. You know how many people in the church are disqualified from correcting? Biblically incapable, they think they're capable, but biblically incapable. How few are biblically qualified to correct another brother. And that's what Paul is saying here. If you're non-carnal, if you're not a hypocrite, then you are biblically qualified to judge. You've taken the plank out of your own eye. And not judge like condemn, but judge to help and tell another brother, Hey, you know what? You're in sin. This isn't pleasing before the Lord. Give that up. Put down the crack pipe. Put down the sex. Give it up. The alcohol. Give it up. Your tax cheat. Give it up. The little white lies. No, those are big lies. Give it up. Repent. And you help another brother. You help another sister not be a hypocrite in their own lives. And then in the course of time, Lord willing, you know what happens. Maybe they can become ministers in whatever capacity. He says, for you who judge, practice the same things. But we know, in verse 2, we know that the judgment of God is according to truth. Truth against those who practice such things. And Paul is addressing the people here who have planks in their eye. Planks in their eye. You cannot have a plank in your eye. You got to take it out. And what blows me away so much is you have all these Pastors, Bible teachers, elders, who are biblically disqualified from correcting another brother. You know what that means? There's no power. I mean, when you just consider, we studied it in the the book of Acts, but when you just consider for a moment, you have the apostles. In Acts chapter 6, there was this need that arose in the church. What happened is that there were certain widows that were neglected in the daily distribution. That's in Acts chapter 6, verse 1. Certain widows were neglected in the daily distribution. You say, whoa, there's this need that has arisen in the church. Hey, apostle, help us out. And the apostles, they say, no. Verse 2, it is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. It's not to nullify that need and say, oh, it's no big deal. It's an an issue that has arisen in the church. And the apostles say, hey, the Lord called us to this and we're going to teach the word of God. We're going to stay in our lane in accordance with how the Lord called us. But here's the remedy. In verse 3, Acts chapter 6, Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, good witness, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. You see? How beautiful this is. And this is just for serving in tables. And I don't mean to discredit or cheapen this ministry because it is a valid and valuable ministry. This issue has arisen in the church and, and these apostles, these holy men say, look, these are the criteria, good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. And that's for serving in tables. And that's not even for pulpit. You know how many people are in the pulpit who have, you know, no good reputation? How many people are in the pulpit who don't have the Holy Spirit? They're just like, Simon, You know, Simon, who thought he could buy the Holy Spirit, how the Holy Spirit... And he was a believer. He believed in Jesus Christ. But there was no power, no Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit fell upon the church, but bypassed, skipped Simon, because his heart wasn't right before the Lord. How many people are in the pulpits teaching, attempting to teach, and they don't have a good reputation, they're not full of the Holy Spirit, and they have no wisdom? You see... That's just, these are qualifications for serving in tables. Some ministries are, you know, like foundational to other ministries, such as Philip. He was one. Look at verse 5. You know, you see Philip. And so Philip, he served in tables. He was full of the Holy Spirit, of good reputation, and he had wisdom. And then all of a sudden, the Lord took him from serving in tables. And he says, okay, now I'm going to have you be an evangelist. And he preached the good news. People became believers. He preached to the eunuch. Gave the eunuch the good news. Baptized the eunuch. And not only that, it didn't end with Philip. Remember his daughters? They were prophetesses. Beautiful, beautiful daughters as prophetesses. All in the name of the Lord, for the glory of the Lord. And it just blows me away so much. Let's go back to Romans 2. And a lot of people who teach the Bible because of their hypocrisy, because of their carnality, they are biblically disqualified from teaching. They shouldn't be teachers. That's why Brother James writes in James chapter 3, verse 1, Let not many of you be teachers. Let not many be teachers because you know what? We're held to a higher account. We're, we're going to give a greater account before the Lord when we stand before the Lord. Look at verse 3 in Romans chapter 2. And do you think this, oh man, you who judge, you who crino, you who judge those practicing such things and doing the same, that you will escape the judgment of God? Whoa, that's a hardcore question. You're going to judge, you're going to condemn a person, you're going to say a person's going to burn in hell, is to judge and condemn. And you yourself are in the same exact sin, Do you, how in the world do you think that you're going to escape the judgment of God? That's what Paul is saying here. KRIMA, K-R-I-M-A, KRIMA is the decision of condemnation. That's what the word judgment is here. You know how many people say, oh yeah, they're, they're predestined to hell. They're predestined to hell. This guy's going to burn in hell. Why is he going to burn in hell? Oh, he's a porn addict. But what about you? You're a porn head too. And you're teaching the Bible? Whoa. Oh, this crackhead, he's going to burn in hell. He's predestined to hell. Maybe he was. He's not even saved. He's going to burn in hell. He was predestined to burn in hell. He thinks he's a Christian, but he's not. I don't know. He's not a Christian. And then all of a sudden, well, wait a second. He's a cheater, but you're also a cheater. You're a tax cheat. You like to say your little white lies and think it's no big deal? You're a porn head, you're a sex head, you're a crack head, you're a whiskey head, scotch, pick your poison. Do you think you're going to escape the judgment of God, the crema of God, his decision of condemnation? Do you think you're going to escape? It's a hardcore. These are hardcore verses. Terrifying verses. Praise be to the Lord. Let you and me both, you know, there's more listeners, but I'm speaking to you individually. Let you and me both learn and accept and learn to love the fear of the Lord, because there's safety in that. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It says a lot about, you know, choose choose from among you men of good reputation. Full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. These beautiful, beautiful men must have feared the Lord. Philip raising up his baby girls, he must have taught them the fear of the Lord. Because the Lord used them for as prophetesses in the church. To teach the fear of the Lord. Pass it on to the next generation of righteousness. These are hardcore verses. And remember, Paul, he's establishing the church. You know, they're they're brand new believers, fresh. And say, hey, let's get on the firm foundation and let's stay on this firm foundation. There's this teaching about, you know, Gentiles have to be circumcised to be Christians. No way. And he's addressing hypocrisy now. And 2000, 2,000 some years later, give or take a couple of years, he's still the, the Holy Spirit is still using the writings of Paul. says a lot about Paul's heart. Closely, closely aligned with Jesus Christ. Enveloped in the heart of Jesus Christ, our Lord. In verse 4, or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and suffering? Forbearance is tolerance here. Do you despise this? This is the question he's asking. Do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? Whoa. Oh, that person's going to burn in hell. You know, he says he's a Christian, but he's not really a Christian. He never was a Christian. He never really believed. He's not a Christian. And you yourself are a cheater. You're a hypocrite. Don't be that way. Don't be that way. Understand that the forbearance, the riches of his goodness and his long suffering, it leads to repentance. Rather than say, oh yeah, this guy's predestined for hell. This guy's not even a believer. Why not deny your own hypocrisy, your own carnality, be full of the Holy Spirit, have a good witness, learn wisdom, say to wisdom, she is your sister, say of understanding, you are my nearest kin as is written in the Proverbs. And now you are biblically equipped. You have the Holy Spirit. You're biblically equipped to teach. And this guy, this gal who you say, oh yeah, they're not Christians. They think they are, but they're not. They're predestined to hell. You go to this brother and say, you know what, brother? Put down the crack pipe. I know you're a crackhead. Put down the crack. And because you yourself are not a crackhead, you're biblically able to help this brother or sister. Hey, brother, put down the pornography. That's a big one. A biggie. Sex, drugs, alcohol. Those are biggies. A lot of pastors, a lot of elders, a lot of Bible teachers, they themselves are disqualified. Incapable. Because of compromise. It's hardcore. Hardcore concepts to grasp and understand. That the goodness of God leads to repentance to tell a brother rather than say you're going to burn in hell. Say, you know what? If you continue this and you don't have Jesus Christ, yeah, you're going to burn in hell. Everybody who doesn't believe is going to burn in hell. But God loves you. God loves you. Put down the crack pipe. He doesn't want you to be a crackhead. He doesn't want you to be addicted to pornography. He doesn't want you to, you know, go to whiskey. You have problems in life. He wants you to go to him. He wants you to seek his face. Come, let us reason together. He doesn't want you to bury your face in a bottle of whiskey. And when I say these things, you're like, whoa, that's hardcore. Why do you say it? Why do you say it like that? I tell you from experience. The Lord rescued me out of Egypt. You want me to tell you what my Egypt was? I'm ashamed of my Egypt. I don't want to tell you. I'm ashamed of it. Sex, drugs, rock and roll, the whole nine yards. I'm ashamed. But what I love about how the Lord uses that for His glory, I can talk to a crackhead. I mean, I wasn't a crackhead, but I can talk to the crackhead. I can talk to the alcoholic. I can talk to the sex head. I can talk to these people. Praise be to the Lord. And I don't say that with boasting. My boast is in Jesus Christ. I say it to encourage you. Because you might be a crackhead today, but you don't have to be a crackhead tomorrow. You might be a sex head today, but you don't have to be a sex head tomorrow. Alcoholic today, you don't have to be an alcoholic tomorrow. Those are idols, idolatry. Turn your eyes away from those idols and keep your eyes on Jesus Christ. He loves you. He loves you the riches of God's goodness, His forbearance and longsuffering, it leads you to repentance, my friend. Put down the crack pipe. Put down the sex. Put down all those things which so, not just snares you, which so easily ensnares you. And mature, grow in Christ. Run your race. Look what happens here. In verse 5, but in accordance with your hardness and your impenitent heart or your unrepentant heart. You see, you know what he's addressing here? Uncircumcised heart. In accordance with the hardness, with your hardness and your impenitent heart. You are treasuring up for yourself. Notice it's self-inflicted. You are amassing and uh, uh, reserving, treasuring up for yourself. Wrath. It's self-inflicted. Wrath. whoa. That is scary in the day of wrath. Now, a lot of Christians say, oh, we're not appointed to wrath, so I'm good to go. It's true. The Christian is not appointed to wrath. The person who is abiding in Christ is not appointed to wrath. But here's my question. In what, in whom are you abiding? If it's in Christ, praise be to the Lord, you're good to go. You're not appointed to wrath. But are you abiding in crack? Are you abiding in sex? In alcohol? In wickedness? In Baal? In Virgin Mary? In Buddha? Muhammad? In whom or in what do you abide? Only in Jesus Christ. You abide in him, he in you, and you are not appointed to wrath. Outside of him, wrath. I love you. I don't say these things in this manner to hurt you. But I want to jolt you and wake you up. Because yes, there's a big problem in the church today. Everybody's asleep. Not everybody, but a large majority. But I speak to the living. I speak to you. And the Lord wants to use you. He wants to equip you. He wants to train you. And in order to do that, there are very serious truths that you must understand. You know what we're doing? You and me, we're rolling around on the mat. That's what we're doing. And I'm teaching you how to fight. Words of paper, words of parchment, holy words. Taking every jot, every tittle, removing it from these pages, make the pages white. You know why? Because they come off these pages and they go into your heart. Understand how to fight. Fight. I mean, when you're training in hand-to-hand combat, there are guys that, you know, they break their noses. One guy had his finger chopped off. Broken arms. I mean, have you ever get kicked in the head with steel toe boots? Doesn't feel good. And that's carnally speaking when you train in hand-to-hand combat. And I'm not talking about hand-to-hand combat like cheesy. I'm talking about serious hand-to-hand combat. To win wars to fight and win combat, win battles, not cheesy, you know, not anything cheesy, but the same exact thing applies to our walk with Christ, supernaturally speaking hand to hand combat, equipped for the work of the ministry, trained in the work of the ministry, the same exact concept, and we train to fight, we train to win as we each individually run our race individually. And corporately, the koinonia, the ecclesia. In verse 5, But in accordance with your hardness and impenitent heart, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. Never, ever, 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 ever be too proud to repent. Never. It keeps our hearts soft. It keeps your heart soft before the Lord. Never be too proud to repent. You read the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, and you're like, wow, Lord, I never knew. Put your finger down where you, where you left off. Put your finger down right there. As soon as the Holy Spirit convicts you, you put your finger away where, you, where you are in the Bible. You close your eyes. You say, Lord, forgive me. And you repent right then, right there. And then when you're done repenting, you open up your eyes, and then you keep going, keep reading. That's yielding to the Lord. And then you don't make those mistakes over and over and over and over. Habitual sin, it's not good. That's a dog going back to his or her vomit. Don't be a dog. Go from fish to lamb to sheep and maybe, Lord willing, to shepherd. Don't forget that shepherds can go to wolves, but can become wolves. That's not good. But if you go from fish to lamb to sheep to dog, that's also not good you know fish to lamb to sheep to pig that's not good don't do that and so look what happens here in verse 6 who will render to each to who will render to each one according to his deeds these are scary verses but biblical truths render to each one according to his deeds whoa what are your deeds what are my deeds you see wow, you know, the work of my hands, the steps of my feet. Yeah, that's one aspect, but it's much deeper than that. Let's read on. In verse 7, eternal life to those who by patient continuance translates as cheerful endurance. In doing good, seek for glory, honor, and immortality. You must be loved. You must keep your eyes on the prize. Keep your eyes on the prize and run your race. Lay aside those things which so easily ensnare you. Let us lay aside those things which so easily ensnare us and let us run a race. In verse 8, but to those who are self-seeking, speaks of selfishness, and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation and wrath. So look at, picture a fork in the road. You look to the left and what do you see? Indignation and wrath. You look to the right, and what do you see? Eternal life. The beginning of verse 7, the end of verse 8. The right is eternal life. The left is indignation and wrath. Choose. Choose. And you're going to be at the fork in the road many times in one day. Many, many times in one day. Choose. You go down the path of indignation and wrath. That's a dangerous, dangerous path. It's not good. When you realize you're on that path, you need to repent, fall on your knees before the Lord. You know what he does? He does that like a rescue mission. A rescue mission. You know, all of a sudden, he takes you from one path and he puts you on the right path. Straight up rescue mission. Praise be to the Lord because he loves you. He loves you. In verse 9, there's indignation and wrath. There's no period. There's a comma. In verse 9, tribulation and anguish. Wow. So you know, you hear me say, do you look at the left, you see indignation and wrath? Scratch that. You look to the left, and what do you see? Indignation and wrath, tribulation and anguish. Whoa. Don't go down that path. On every soul of man who does evil of the Jew first, and also of the Greek, both Jew and Gentile. Everybody is without excuse. In verse 10, but glory honor and peace to everyone who works what is good to the jew first and also to the greek does that mean we're saved by works not at all but don't forget that faith and works they're inseparable they're together faith and works they're inseparable you have faith praise be to the lord inseparable from that is the works where are the works And when I say works, obedience unto the Lord, just like Brother James says. Obedience unto the Lord. What is it that the Lord has for you? Is it to serve at tables? Is it to be a pastor? Is it to be a teacher? Is it to be an evangelist? Is it to be in whatever helps ministry? I don't know. That's not my call. That's between you and the Lord. But we still train. We still equip. We still train for the work of the ministry. And so all of a sudden, look what happens here in verse 11. For there is no partiality with God, no favoritism with God, no favoritism. The King James Version says, God is no respecter of persons. This is a radical difference of these two paths. You look to the left and what do you see? You see indignation, wrath, tribulation, and anguish. You look to the right and what do you see? Eternal life, glory, honor, peace. That's what you see. And you're going to be at this fork for the rest of your life. You're going to, you know, take a right. And, you know, everything's good to go. And then you're going to be at another fork in the road. Then you have a choice. Do I go left? Do I go right? You go right. You know, praise the Lord. And you're going to keep taking these rights. But there might be a time when you take a left. However Satan seduces you, you take a left. When you realize like, oh, snap, I took the wrong. I I should have taken a right, but I took a left. When you realize that, when the Holy Spirit convicts you, you fall to your knees and you repent, and then the rescue mission happens. The rescue mission happens. Straight up NEO. I mean, non non-combatant evacuation operations, NEO. I mean, if you've ever been in a like a NEO mission, it's hardcore. Very hard. Not, not a lot of people can do it, but it's a hardcore operation to a select few. And what happens, it's like you're airlifted, you're heloed into like on a rescue mission, wherever it is that you're going to. The helicopter lands, they're supporting birds, there's like, you know, for suppressive fire. And the helo lands, they drop you off, you have the, you know, you have your uh, 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 range of fire, establish a perimeter, and it's very fast. And you go in, tip of the spear, you go in, and what happens, extraction. You rescue these people. And boom, you get him on the bird and you're out. It's very, very fast. Very specialized. And it's for the hardcore. But that's what I think of when I think of our walk with Christ. These rescue missions. It's not for the average bear. It's for a different people. It's for a crucified people. A consecrated people. You see, so you hear me say these things like, you know, to be hardcore for Jesus Christ, it's not without merit when I say these things. say, like, well, uh, you know, I don't like how you say it like that. Well, I'm sorry, you know, I, like I, 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 I'm I, the, the world kind of, you know, destroyed my innocence. And then the Lord gave me innocence through his son, the blood of his only begotten son. Innocent, a clear conscience. And I'm telling these th- telling you these things because I love you. And I say it in such manner because I love you. You and me were rolling around on the mat. You're learning how to fight. Fight the good fight. You're learning how to fight. Not for the heck of it. So that the Lord can use you, the Lord can call you. So when you go and serve tables and Crazy guy comes in, you know what to do. You're serving in tables and crazy girl comes in, you know exactly what to do, what to say, because you're equipped. And then all of a sudden you're serving in tables and the Lord says, you know what, I'm gonna, I want you to be an evangelist. And you go from serving in tables, you become an evangelist. The Lord says, you've been an evangelist, now I want you to be a teacher. Now you teach. Now I want you to be a pastor. Now I want you to be an elder. Now I want you to teach kids. Now I want you to teach women. You know, a lot of women get kind of denigrated in the church. So, oh yeah, this is for men. This is for men. There are certain duties, pastoral, uh, uh, elders, it's for men. But what about women teachers? You look at Chloe. And we're going to hit. You know, when we get into the, I love the church in Corinth because they're very carnal. I don't, that's not why I love them. But I love it because they're very carnal. But then you see Second Corinthians, they're. You see the carnality diminish more and more. Just like what can happen in the church today. A very carnal church that we, this environment that we have, a very carnal church is to wake up. Let's roll around on the mat. Let's fight. You know, learning to fight, you know, training and fight, training and fighting. And then we go out into the world. Not making converts, making disciples, disciples, students. And then the Lord will call the disciples and make them messengers in whatever whatever capacity, whatever ministry. There's no favoritism with the Lord, no partiality with God. God is no respecter of persons. Now, in verse 12, you know, Paul is he's rocking the church to the core, rocking them to the core. Of both Jew and Gentile. You know what's so beautiful about these passages? Now both Jew and Gentile, they're trapped. Look at verse 12. For as many as have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. So say for example, if you're a Jew in the church and you you hear this, you read it in in Paul's letter, you hear it, somebody's reading it. It's like, whoa, cool, okay, I'm, I'm in the law. It's okay, I'm good to go. And then wait a second here. And as many as have sinned in the law will be judged by the law. You see, both Jew and Gentile are now trapped. <laughs> Praise be to the Lord. Paul caught them by cunning. You see? For not in verse 13, not the hearers of the law are just in the sight of God, speaking to the Jews, but the doers of the law will be justified. Now you read that and you're like, wait a second, does that mean I have to do the law? No way. Paul's not done rocking the world of the church. He's not done. He's establishing this concept of what the law really is. Remember, we studied that on Wednesday a little bit. The the law being nailed to the cross. The law is over. When you abide in Christ, the law is over. Outside of Christ, the law is still in effect. And the wages of sin is death. That hasn't changed. When it does change, that means you're in Christ. In verse 14, For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do the things in the law, these, although not having the law, are a law to themselves. It's a holy phenomenon is what it is. I mean, we read passages in the Old Testament in Leviticus where the Lord says, Okay, if you have land and you're going to the harvest, you know, leave these things in the corner. Leave the, you know, you have like corn that falls, leave it there. Corn in the corners of the land, leave it there. Why? It's for the poor people. You know, there's plenty for you. There's plenty for your family. Plenty. There's plenty. You're still going to be able to sell goods. You're still going to be able to do this. But all these these little things on the the outskirts of your land, your property, leave it there. So the poor people can come in and start to, you know, have uh, provisions for themselves. And the Lord is saying, you know, leave these provisions because it's for the poor people. Now, say, for example, we're Jewish. We're in the camp of Israel. Old Testament, and then we walk outside the camp, and we see another people, and it's like, wow, you know what? Uh, this guy is just picking up a little bit of corn. How come you're doing that, guy? Why? Why are you doing that? And the guy just says, Well, I know I'm not a Jew, but you know, I just, I, 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 the, I, I have plenty here. I have enough for my family, and I, I know that there's poor people in our midst, and I just, you know, the poor people. I just want the poor people to have provision. Take care of the poor. You know, I I don't want them to be without food for their families. So I'm just going to help the poor people. You see, that person doesn't have the law. The law wasn't given to that person. But that person is a law unto themselves. That's what Paul is saying here in verse 14. The Gentiles, they don't have the law. But by nature, they do the things in the law. They're a law unto themselves. It's a holy phenomena. You say, what do you mean? How could the Gentile be holy? Well, everyone is without excuse. Everyone is without excuse. And in Christ, all of a sudden, God's law becomes natural. It becomes just, oh, this person, you know, doesn't have, you know, food to eat. Okay, here, here's some food. It becomes human. It becomes your nature. Why? Because the Lord changed you. He changed your heart. He changed your mind. In verse 15 who show the work of the law written in their hearts. You see? They show the work of the law written in their hearts. In Jeremiah, turn to Jeremiah 31 really quick. Jeremiah 31. Jeremiah 31, verse 31. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant, which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. But this is the covenant, the new covenant. This is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my my law in their minds and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. It's deep. Much deeper than the surface. Much deeper all the way down to the marrow right in your heart. Let's go back to Romans 2 verse 15. Who show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness. Did you know that your conscience can bear witness? You know, what if you have a clear conscience before the Lord? It's clean before the Lord. And somebody says, how dare you? How dare you? How dare you? And you're just like, you know, that's nice. Because you have a clear conscience before the Lord. You know the Word of God. You have intimacy with Jesus Christ. You have wisdom. You have the Holy Spirit. Not to boast. But somebody says, how dare you? How dare you? How dare you? And you're just like, in one ear and out the other. I have a clear conscience before the Lord. But what about you? You tell that to the other person. What about you? You're telling me about this, this, this. I have a clear conscience before the Lord. I know I hurt your feelings. I hurt your little feelers. I know that this happened. I don't want to hurt your feelings, but that's what happens when you're disobedient to the Lord. You want to be a crackhead? Let me correct you, my friend. You want to be a sex addict? Let me correct you, my friend. That's what it means to have a clear conscience before the Lord. And you know what? Not a lot of people have a clear conscience before the Lord. Whenever you have a guilty conscience, that's the Holy Spirit saying, Hey, there's something, there's something that He wants to work on in your life. He wants to fix in your life. You have to let Him. You have to allow Him to do that work in your heart, in your life, in your mind. A conscience can bear witness. He says this in verse 15, and between themselves, their thoughts, accusing or else excusing. You can't fake it with the Lord. Even a conscience, thoughts, even can accuse or excuse. You can't fake it with the Lord. I've heard sermons before, 20 some years ago when I was a young believer. I had to like look under my seat because I thought, you know, somebody behind me was set a campfire underneath my seat. Sweating. Have you ever heard the word of God and you're like sweating bullets? Like, oh my goodness, this is me. And the pastor's teaching, and it's like, wow, look, the Lord killed this guy. They're like, oh my goodness, this is me. Sweating bullets. I'm shaking. I'm like, I got to get, like, what in the world? Uh, I'm like fanning my face. Like, oh, this is, like, 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 hyperventilating. I feel like there's fire underneath my seat. Praise be to the Lord. Because he changed me. When that happens to you, It's the Holy Spirit saying, hey, put down the crack pipe. Hey, put down the sex. Hey, put down the whiskey. Put down the alcohol. Stop being a tax cheat. Stop telling your little white lies. It's the Holy Spirit. Don't grieve Him. Honor Him. Respect Him. And then all of a sudden, look what happens here in verse 15 when he says, between themselves, their thoughts, accusing or else excusing. Thoughts here, logismos, logismos in the Greek. It's the computative mind. It's the realm of reason and the realm of imagination. Where is your mind, my friend? Where is your mind? What does a mind aligned to Christ look like? You know, the thoughts of your heart in obedience to Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5 says, to bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Every thought. Every single thought, you, me, we, must bring it into captivity if we want to be obedient to Jesus Christ. Once your thoughts are captive, what do you do? You measure it with the Word of God. Lord, does this thought honor you? Lord, does this thought dishonor you? And it's captive. It's held captive. If it honors the Lord, let it go. Let it out. And let it permeate your thought. Let it permeate your body. If it honors the Lord. If it dishonors the Lord, you got to give it up. Give it to Jesus Christ. Lord, my mind shouldn't go here. Everybody says, oh yeah, look, this guy murdered somebody. This guy raped a lady. This guy, you know, he's a tax cheat. This guy, he says his little white lies. But you know what? That's bad. You know, it's bad. I'm not saying it's, you know, no big deal. It's a big deal. But hit the rewind button. Before the the steps of the feet, before the works of the hand, what's going on in the mind? A guy who rapes a girl and then all of a sudden it's like, well, what was happening a year ago in his mind? What was happening five years prior when he started watching pornography? Objectifying women for sexual gratification. And then five years later, he sees an object, not a woman, an object, something to satisfy his sexual gratification. Disgusting, disgusting, disgusting things. And yes, it's a sin, the actual rape. And that woman, that girl, whoever it is, is a victim of a fool. And then all of a sudden to hit the rewind button, say, Oh, wait a second, where did the sin really happen? And the guy started watching pornography. A tax cheat, you know. That's sin, but where did the sin really happen? When a guy got in his head, Oh yeah, I can make an extra $2,000. I can make an extra $5,000. If I claim this, I can make an extra $10,000. I pay under the table. Look at all this money I'm saving. Look how awesome I am. Look how smart I am. Look how logical I am. Look at all this money I can save if I am just be a tax cheat. I can lie about this, I can pay under the table, I don't have to pay payroll tax. But you know what? It's foolishness. Oh, but I can I can make all this money, save all this money, and I'll give it to the church. I'll give it to the church. That's dirty money. Dirty money, it doesn't bring honor to the Lord. But honest wages, honest scales, it's pleasing to the Lord. The thoughts. What's going on in the thoughts? Whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, pure, lovely, of good report, virtuous, praiseworthy, meditate on these things. You're meditating on crack? Repent. for what's, You haven't done crack, but you're thinking about it. You're meditating on sex? Repent. You haven't done it, but you're thinking about it. Drugs, alcohol, whatever, You're meditating on Buddha, meditating on Muhammad, meditating on the Virgin Mary. Repent. Cut it out. Meditate on those things that are true, noble, just, pure, lovely, of good report, virtuous, and praiseworthy. That's Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Meditate on those things. You know why? Because you've taken every thought captive to the obedience of Jesus Christ. You're being obedient to the Word of God, obedient to Jesus Christ. The the, the word became flesh. That's what Paul writes here in verse 15. Between themselves and their thoughts. Accusing or excusing. What do your thoughts? Do your thoughts excuse you? Praise be to the Lord if they do. You don't have a dirty mind? Praise be to the Lord. Or do your own thoughts accuse you? Wow, a dirty mind. You know how many men have dirty minds? You know how many women have dirty minds? A lot of people say, oh, men are pigs. Sexually speaking, oh, men are pigs. Me personally, I think women are worse pigs. Me personally. I've had women like approach, you know, oh, I tell them I'm married. I don't care you're married. Whoa. Married women. I don't care, you know, you're married. I'm married. I don't care. Whoa. I think women are worse. You know, men are pigs, but women can be pigs too. I mean, men can be pigs. Women can be pigs, too. You know what I say? Don't be a pig. Don't be a dog. Don't be a pig. Be a lamb or be a sheep. It's much better in this life and in the life to come. And the Lord might call you to be a shepherd. You see? Look what happens here. Thoughts accusing or excusing, uh, accusing or or else excusing them in the day when God will judge the secrets. will Krenou. Judge, it's to judge and condemn the secrets of man. You know what secrets is here? Kryptos in the Greek. Kryptos. It's the hidden, inward, secret, private, and concealed. The secrets. What's going on in the thoughts? The computative mind where reason, the realm of reason, and the realm of imagination. What's going on in the, the hidden, inward, secretive, and private and concealed part of a man, of a woman? What's going on in the head, in the mind, in the heart? And Paul is saying, God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. Whoa. You say, what is it? It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why is Paul saying it's his gospel? It says a lot about Paul. It says a lot, a lot about Paul's heart. Remember, he said, Jesus Christ says, abide in me and I in you. It says a lot about the temple called Paul's body where Jesus Christ is dwelling. In verse 17, remember the church is comprised of both Jew and Gentile. But to Jews, this is what is written indeed, you are called a Jew. And rest on the law and make your boast in God and know His will and approve the things that are excellent, being instructed out of the law and are confident that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes, having the form of knowledge and truth in the law. Now I tell you this, a warning, put on your seatbelt, my friend. You, therefore, who teach another Do you not teach yourself? Whoa! What about all the hypocrite teachers? What about all the carnal teachers? So called pastors, so called elders, so called youth leaders, so called Bible teachers? And Paul is saying, You who teach another, do you not teach yourself? Somebody who teaches the Bible, a Bible study in whatever setting, a church setting or a home fellowship. Somebody who teaches the Bible, but they themselves are a hypocrite. They themselves are compromised through carnality or hypocrisy. It's not good in the eyes of the Lord. There's no power. It's just the opposite. There is judgment for that. Judgment. Just like verse 3 Do you think this, oh man, you who judge those practicing such things and doing the same, that you will escape the judgment of God? You know what? And these are very scary things to study.
1: Very scary
0: truths to study. And I say, praise be to our Lord, our Savior, our King, Christ Jesus is His name. Praise be to His name. You know why? Because let us be a people that learns and understands and in abiding in Christ we know the fear of God the fear of God you ever hear a sex head teach the bible it's disgusting you ever hear a crackhead teach the bible a meth head teach the bible it's disgusting it's gross have you ever heard a uh, tax cheat Little white lies, they teach the Bible, they attempt to teach the Bible, it's disgusting. Don't do that. There's no power, it's hypocrisy. You who teach another, do you not teach yourself? You who preach that a man should not steal, do you steal? Now imagine the carnal in the church reading this, hey guys, we got a letter from Paul. He said, like, can you read? No, <laughs> I'm uneducated. Remember, the education was like for the wealthy class. Can you read? No, I'm just a fisherman. Can you read? Yeah, I can read a little bit. Here, read this. And they're reading it. Okay, look, Paul says in chapter 1, verse uh, um, 11, look, Paul longs to see us. Oh, that's so cool. Why? He wants to impart some spiritual gift. Oh, that's so cool. And then all of a sudden you keep reading. You who preach that a man should not steal, do you steal? Whoa, what if that's you in the church? I tell this brother not to teach the Bible, I tell this brother not to steal, but me myself, I'm a thief. I'm a thief. Paul is addressing hypocrisy. He's addressing the carnal nature hardcore. I don't think Paul would be well received in the church today. I think a lot of pastors, a lot of deacons, a lot of bishops, a lot of elders, then throw him out. Then throw him out. Oh, Paul, that's so mean-spirited, that's so mean. How dare you say that? How dare you do that? This guy tithes the most in the church. How dare you call him? You know, he's not a teacher. How dare you say he steals? How dare you say that? I don't think Paul would be well-received in the church today. In verse 22, You who say, do not commit adultery. Do you commit adultery? That's hardcore. Attention, pastors. Attention, elders, Bible teachers, youth leaders. You want to talk against Uh, uh, adultery, sexual sin, pornography, and you yourself are compromised in those things, woe is you. W-O-E. Woe is you. You who say, do not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? Rob temples here is to steal idols for use or for sale. So if I, for example, if I say, hey, you know, uh, look at the Catholic Church, how they have all these idols all over the place. Idolatry, Virgin Mary. Say, for example, if, oh, yeah, don't don't pray to Mary. Don't pray to Mary. And you're like, wow, look, he abhors idols. Cool. But then at night, you know, you go home, you do your thing, and then all of a sudden, I break into the Catholic Church. I break into the Catholic Church, steal their Virgin Marys, and I'm worshiping Mary. I bring Virgin Mary into my house, and I start worshiping Virgin Mary. Woe is me. Woe is me. Or say, for example, I take the Virgin Mary, I clean her up, wipe her up with the cloth, and then all of a sudden, I sell her. You know, go to eBay, you know, 500 bucks, put it for sale. Oh, look, I'm making money. I'll give it to the Lord. I'll give give 10% to the Lord. Wicked. Woe is me. I can't be a pastor if that's the case. I'm biblically disqualified from being a pastor. Biblically disqualified from teaching the Bible. Woe is me. W-O-E. Woe is me. If you're a pastor, if you're an elder Bible teacher, and you hear these words, And you're a hypocrite. Through carnality, you're a hypocrite. Go on hiatus. Just say, look, I'm not teaching the Bible. You, my friend, you must get your heart right with the Lord. And you must seek His face. And you must humble yourself. And you must repent before the Lord. Because of your error. Because of your folly. Because of your foolishness. And once you've done that, you know, pray to the Lord. Seek His face. He might say, you know what? I never called you to be a pastor. I never called you to teach the Bible. You have to get your heart right with the Lord. You know why? Because if you teach the Bible, you are held to a higher standard. That's why in James, James says, let not many be teachers. Let not many be teachers. You know what we have today? A lot of teachers. Churches on every corner, pastors on every street corner, so-called pastors. So-called churches on every street corner. It's very popular everywhere. Church of this, church of that, church of this. I've talked to people who say, you know, I tell them about my experience in the Roman Catholic Church. You know, how you can do all this whatever, you know, and then all of a sudden you go to the priest and you say, you know, you call him father. Father, forgive me. It's been two months since my last confession. they say, okay, pray the rosary ten times, whatever, you know. Pray the rosary ten times, and you're good to go. Number one, it's not biblical. Number two is to understand that the doctrine in accordance with Rome, it does not align with the doctrine according to Holy Scripture. And these people say, wow, that sounds so cool. That sounds so, look, there's this outward showing of holiness. But what Paul is doing, he's showing the church it's inward." It's not outward. It is inward. What's happening in your temple? Remember Jesus Christ? He says, you know, uh, tear this temple down and in three days I will raise it again. They thought, what is it? It took you know, decades to build this, this temple. What is he talking about? Because he was talking about his temple. On the third day, fulfillment. He rose again. In verse 23, you who make your boast in the law, do you dishonor God through breaking the law? Whoa. Does that mean that Paul is saying, hey, let's go back to the law? No way. In any way, shape, or form, no way is he saying that. But what's happening is he's establishing this point. He's he's rocking their world is what he's doing. So eloquently so. And he's not even finished. There's like the whole book of Romans. It's like, whoa, he's rocking their world. Praise be to the Lord. Because we must be a people that understands these things. Deep, deep, deep things in the law. Both Jew and Gentile, they need to understand these concepts, holy concepts. Why? So that Paul can boast? No way. It's so that they themselves can be on the firm foundation. So you yourselves, so us as the koinonia, the ecclesia, can be Firmly planted on the rock of salvation. Jesus Christ. In verse 24, For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you, as it is written. Verse 24 is hardcore. The name of God is blasphemed? Blasphemed. That's what happens with hypocrisy. That's what happens with carnality. You know, I say that for the church. I say that for the Christian. But even more so if you're a teacher, a pastor, an elder, a youth leader. Even more so. Just like verse 21, you who teach another, do you not teach yourself? And where there's hypocrisy, the name of God is blasphemed. You see? He says this, among the Gentiles, because of you, fulfillment of Isaiah 52, verse 5. Because of you, hypocrisy, as it is written. Remember, Paul, he's rocking their world. Praise be to the Lord. Because the church needs to understand these things. Remember, Paul says, I long to see you. Chapter (laughs) 1. Verse 11, I long to see you guys. like, wow, I can't wait to see Paul. Maybe we get to see him, but look, he wrote us a letter. Wow, praise be to the Lord. He's going to give us the gospel. Remember, Paul says in chapter 1, verse 16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation. To everyone who believes. You know what's so beautiful about that? You don't have to present, like you know, a sales pitch. People say, oh yeah, preach the good news, teach Jesus Christ, but don't talk about judgment, don't talk about wrath. Paul says in verse 16, in chapter 1, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God unto salvation. He says in verse 15, I'm ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. Okay, so Paul says, I'm going to give you the gospel. Imagine if there were people who say, okay, give the gospel, but don't teach wrath. Don't talk about God's judgment. You know what Paul does? Verse 18, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven. You see, he gets to the point. Judgment is coming. Wrath is coming, and wrath is here already. The wrath upon individuals—it's already here. It's you know, look at how you know he starts speaking about the in, in the latter part of chapter one, all the works of the flesh. And Paul says the wrath of God is revealed, even more so today and the name of god is blasphemed among the gentiles because of you as it is written that's what hypocrisy does my friend i love you i don't want to hurt your feelings you know but you know the word of god it hurts my feelings too the lord hurts my feelings too praise be to the lord you know why because he's shaping us my little feelers your little feelers we're being transformed a renewing of our minds in verse 25, for circumcision is indeed profitable. You read that, you're like, what? Circumcision is profitable? I thought this was a new covenant. He says, if you keep the law, but if you are a breaker of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. Remember, in accordance with the law, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. No one is righteous. So, you know what that means? Circumcision is meaningless. Now say we go back in time, we're here in the church, you know, 57 AD, somewhere around there, and we're in the early church. Say, what about our church fathers? What about 500 years ago? I wonder if Paul would reply, what about 25 years ago, my friend, when Jesus Christ died, when the law was nailed to a cross, when sin was nailed to a cross, 500 years ago, that's over. 25 years ago, from the cross on, from Jesus Christ on, it's a different ballgame. New Testament. Verse 26, Therefore, if an uncircumcised man keeps the righteous requirement of the law, will not his uncircumcision be counted as circumcision? Whoa, you know what a radical concept this is? If an uncircumcised man, that's a Gentile, Keeps the righteous requirement of the law. Will not his uncircumcision, remember he's a Gentile, be counted as uncircumcision? Paul is beginning this very beautiful and hardcore lesson about the law of faith. The law of faith. Let's look at chapter 3, verse 31. Now we're going to end there next week, Lord willing. But in chapter 3, verse 31, do we then make void the law through faith? No He says Certainly not Exclamation point On the contrary We establish the law That's what faith is In verse 27 Of Romans chapter 3 Where is boasting then It is excluded By what law? Question mark Of works? Question mark No By the law Of faith You see He's teaching A different concept not difference in accordance with the word. I mean, different in accordance to the, what what they've, what their history, what they knew. Imagine the Jews there. Imagine the Jews. Imagine the former Pharisees who spread this teaching about if you want to be a Christian, you have to be circumcised, and all these Gentiles getting circumcisions. They're getting circumcised. Oh, we want to be a Christian. We want to honor the Lord. And Paul's writing. Look. In chapter two, verse. 26, if an uncircumcised man keeps the righteous requirement of the law, will not his uncircumcision be counted as circumcision? Whoa. He starts to teach about the law of faith. And will not the physically uncircumcised, if he fulfills the law, judge you who even with your written code? You know how that translates? The letter of the law. You hear me talk about the letter of the law? The letter of the law is poison, my friend. The letter of the law is poison because that is the way of blindness. That is the way of the deaf. That's the letter of the law. The spirit of the law. Remember the Pharisees? In following the letter of the law, they said, we're hardcore. We follow Moses. But the spirit of the law, Jesus Christ says, Moses wrote about me. Everything in the law points to Jesus Christ. Everything. Every jaw, every tittle of the law points to Jesus Christ. The feast, the festivals, the sacrifice, it all points to Jesus Christ. All of it. You follow the spirit of the law, you'll see these things and understand deeper the character and nature and love of our Lord. You follow the letter of the law, Satan will trick you and say, okay, let's go back to Hebrew roots. Cunning serpent. Wicked he is. The father of lies. But we're training. We're equipping. We know how to fight. In verse 27 and will not the physically uncircumcised if he fulfills the law judge you who even with your written code or the letter of the law and circumcision are a transgressor of the law you know how hardcore this question is you have your written code you have your you have your letter of the law you have your circumcision but you know what you are perabates in the greek perabates. you know what that is you are in violation of the law. Violation of the law. Well, you have the letter of the law, you're circumcised, but you're in violation. You see? Because what does the spirit of the law say? It points to Jesus Christ. In verse 28, for he is not a Jew who is one outwardly. Consider this for a moment. This is where people get into crazy town and they start thinking about replacement theology. There is no such thing as replacement theology, but there is a deeper understanding of what circumcision means. Replacement theology is demonic. And I say that to protect you. It's not good. A lot of famous people, people you know that are well-liked. They have a lot of books, published authors. They're replacement theologists. God is done with the Jews. He's finished with the Jews. No way. He's not done with the Jews at all. At all. You have to understand prophecy. People speak such diatribe because they don't have their God as their bellies. That's what happens. It's poison. God is not done with the Jews. But what Paul is writing here He's writing about this understanding of a deeper circumcision. For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. You see? But he is a Jew who is one inwardly. You know what that means? Who is He is a Jew who is one kryptos. Sound familiar? Kryptos. We studied that already a couple of verses ago. Kryptos is the hidden, inward, secret, private, and concealed part of your heart. The inner man, the inner woman. That's a Jew. Inwardly, Kryptos. What's going on in your Kryptos? Are you thinking about sex, drugs, rock and roll, alcohol, whatever it is? Or, in obedience to Christ, are you bringing every thought captive? Meditating on whatever is true, noble, just, pure, lovely, of good report, virtuous, and praiseworthy. If it's the former, repent. If it's the latter, praise be to the Lord. You're a Jew. Not in accordance with the flesh. In accordance to the Spirit. Let the Spirit testify of these things. And comfort you. Look what happens here. In verse 29. He is a Jew who is one inwardly. And circumcision is that of the heart. In the spirit. Capital S. You see. Not in the letter. We're studying in Leviticus. And I pray hardcore. I don't want you to be swayed into the law. Which is why you hear me make mention about, you know, the law that it points to Jesus Christ. I say that a lot. I say that for your protection. Because we study these passages in the law and Satan will whisper in your ear, Okay, you start doing these things in the law. No, it all points to Jesus Christ. Not in the letter, as Paul says here. Whose praise is not from men, but from God. You see? Whose praise is not from men, but from God. You mean God can praise us? It's absolutely what he says here. This praise, it translates as praise as commendation or laudation. You know what that means? You ever go to a sports event? You have kids, you go to a sports event. And you see some parents, they're on their phone. You see a daddy's on the phone making business calls. You know, you see moms talking, yucking it up. And the kids are running like crazy. But then you might see a parent who's like, wow, you know what? That's my girl. That's my baby girl. Look at her run. That's my boy. Look at him run. And he's so proud. And you see his praise, his laudation towards his son, towards his daughter. It's like a proud papa. Like a proud papa. That's circumcision of heart. It's deep in the cryptos. Deep in the cryptos, in the hidden, inward, secretive, private, and concealed parts deep it's circumcision of heart and it's also pleasing to god our father praise be to the lord we're gonna end our study here and pick up next week lord willing in chapter three god bless you guys love you guys